Okay, so what I feel like God wants to share with you guys today is all about the great I am. We're going to go a little bit more into that now. But something that I've asked myself on and off throughout my life is who am I? Because it kind of changes as you go and you're kind of discovering yourself and discovering who you are in God. Um, and what he has taught me through lots of hard walks and wonderful adventures is who he is, which has helped me to figure out who I am because that's who we really are because he created us, he made us who he wanted us to be. So in the Old Testament, names were more than labels. Okay, these days they're all about labels and brands and all of the hip and happening things. But in Old Testament times, names expressed identification as well as identity. If you have a look at biblical names, there was great meaning to why someone was called that. God changed a lot of names. He changed identities through changing names. Um, and, it's, and names had significant meaning to God and to his people. So they had an explanatory function, okay? They went to something that you called someone to get their attention. In some sense, a name was the expression of an inmost reality. Okay, and when does God first introduce himself? Now, he's talked about before Exodus, but the very first time where God appears and introduces himself with his own words was with Moses in the burning bush. Okay, remember that moment? Exodus 3 verse 14 says... God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, which also translates in Hebrew to I am, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever the name you shall call me from generation to generation. So it goes without saying that if we're trying to figure out who we are, we need to look towards the name of God. And he says, I am who I am. And it's been that and it will be that forever. So that's what we're going to look at today. And part of me answering this question for myself, who am I, is also looking into who God is, what makes up God, what characteristics make up God. Um, so there are seven I ams that we're going to be looking at. Um, I am holy. I am righteous. I am loved. I am secure. I'm confident. I am creative. And I am called. And these seven things are very personal things to me. I'm not like my husband, who can remember scriptures. In fact, I'm very, very bad at remembering scriptures and look them up often. They come to mind, but then I just can't remember where they are, and I have to look them up. So these seven things are things that have been a personal walk with me, with Jesus, teaching me who I am through who he is. And so we're going to kind of unpack those one, one at a time. And I really feel like in praying for the camp and for each and every one of you as we've spent praying time for your families, that there is something in each of these seven things for you specifically. Maybe it's all seven, that'll be amazing, but maybe there's one thing that's going to shout at you and you know that that's what God is speaking to me about. So remain open, hearts open, um, and here goes. Now our ladies, 
group, who is very, very precious to me, some of them are here today, um, have been going on an incredible journey, probably for more than a year even, on identity. And God has been walking through, establishing, reinforcing his identity, who he's made us to be, our calling, our purpose in him. And it's been such an incredible time. I think we're about 12 when everyone's there. And we, it is one of my favorite days of the week because God is just doing such amazing things there. So a lot of this comes out of that. It comes out what, have, what he's been teaching me in those times. Um, and what it stems from, which is similar to what we taught with the kids this morning, is that we are made in God's image. Okay, it's a fact. The Bible says it. That's how we were created when he made Adam and Eve. If we are made in God's image, therefore these seven things, which you can see up there, are things that the great I am has put inside each and every one of us. If he is holy, then he's made us to be holy. If he is righteous, he's made us to be righteous. And it goes with every single one. So we're going to go through them one by one um, and look into some practical things, do some practical interactive things. That's what's nice about these weekends. It's not like a Sunday morning in that regard. Um, and we're going to start with the first one, which is I am holy. Now, this is the one that I've had a big problem with, especially in my early Christianity, because I'm not holy. I, I sing those songs where it says, Lord, we lift up our holy hands. I'm like, I don't even want to lift up my hands. My hands are not holy. I, I've never understood that until I started to dive a little bit more into Scripture and see why I have the right to say that, because I really don't have the right to say that. So if I'm holy, God is holy, we were made for holiness. I made it his image, so if he is holy, I was made for holiness. And 1 Peter 1, 14 to 16 says, As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance, but just... As he who calls you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Okay, also easier said than done. That terrifies the living daylights out of me. Be holy because I'm holy. Like I'm not God. I can't be God. I can't do all the amazing thing God does. And I do stuff wrong every single day. So I fall every single day. But we need to understand that being holy is a divine calling. It's not human accomplishment. He called us to be holy. He divinely called you to be holy. He didn't... It's, it's, it's so hard to express, but I hope I get it across the way I, and he has helped me understand it. To be holy is to be his. It's not about doing good. It's not about being good. We are holy because we are his. Okay? Seth is a durance because he's ours. He's not a durance because he makes his bed and he helps us cook supper and he cooks our porridge in the mornings, which he does, <laughs> impressively enough. Okay, So we are holy because we are his. That is what you need to understand. It's not from our actions, it's from our identity. Okay, It's from our ID number. So we think it's this big complicated thing, but actually it's not. We are made in his image. He is holy, so we are holy. The word Christian is used three times in the New Testament. Only three times. Follower of Christ, used three times. The word hagios, 
I think I'm saying it right. Hagios, I'm asking the wrong Greek. Yeah. <laughs> we need an ancient Greek. Where are the ancient Greeks? So, Hagios is translated to saint or holy ones. Now, the interesting thing about this is it's used over 60 times in the Bible. Okay? So, we might be a Christian, but mostly used by Paul, he uses the word hagios, which he uses to address Gentiles, outsiders, unworthy, unholy people. So if you are writing this down, I'll give you some examples. Romans 1.7, 2 Corinthians 1.1, Ephesians 1.1. This is him starting off his letters mostly, and he's addressing very unholy, unworthy Gentile people by calling them saints, holy ones. So he's even calling them what God calls them, not even what they are. So you are holy whether you do holy things or not because of who God is. I'm holy because God is holy. It's an affirmation that you are a child of God, a statement of identity and value. Okay, so that's the first one. So can you all now say, I am holy and believe it? What's that? Believe it because it's true? Who said that? Twaki. Kone and Twaki, if you ever watched them. <laughs> believe it because it's true. So I am holy. If God is holy, we are made for holiness. Second one, another tricky one. I am righteous. <laughs> I'm not so righteous. But if God is righteous, then we were made for righteousness. But what is righteousness? Okay, I want to take you to Romans 5, 17. And there's some important words here. For if by the trespass of one man, which was Adam, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision and grace of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? So this righteousness came from Jesus. He died on the cross. We are righteous because he is righteous. God sees the righteous Jesus standing in front of us. He doesn't see us in all of our unworthiness. So my important part there, you would have heard it, is the gift of righteousness. What is a gift? What given? Freely given. Okay, that's the word I wanted. It is a free gift. A gift is always free. But what does the world tell us these days? There is nothing for free. There are always, always strings attached. If it's not you get those links that people send out to all on WhatsApp and you click it and you just know. There's going to be little presents that you get to open and out pops a cell phone and all of a sudden you're going to get an iPhone 13 delivered to your door. Never, never happens. Okay. So if it's not free, it's not a gift. I don't, you can't call it a free gift if it's not free. Today's free gift culture, which you have in every marketing ploy and campaign, is always got strings attached, okay? Always, always. There's always terms and conditions apply. Read the small print. All they want is your ID number or your password or your banking details to, make, to buy them all their free gifts. And this is has become a real problem in our culture because as soon as you offer someone the gospel, as soon as you tell them about this free gift, what's the first thing that comes to their mind? What's the catch? What's the catch? 
And that's the thing with this righteousness that Jesus offers, is there is no catch. And it's such a hard thing to get across to people because they don't know anything of that in the world anymore. You, you're never just given stuff with no, nothing in return. But we know the gospel. We know the true gospel. It's a free gift of righteousness. It's eternal life through faith in Jesus. And that eternal life starts here on earth. It doesn't start when you die. We're not living for heaven. We're living for earth today. Romans 6.23, for the wage of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So he offers us forgiveness, righteousness, salvation. No one is excluded. He offers it to everybody. It's their choice whether they choose it or not. There's no time limit. So you can turn to him a second before you die and you're with him in heaven. People don't get that. They don't believe it because it just seems too good to be true, but it's true. You're missing out on a whole lot if you wait until that day, but there is no time limit on, the, time limit on this free gift. It's 100% free, and it's not earned. That's the other thing we want to do is we want to earn our gift because that's the right thing to do. We, we taught it from small children. You've got to earn your sucker. You've got to earn your... your prefect badge. You've got to earn your pudding. Okay, that's, that's how we are trained. And I want you to think back for a moment. It might be recent for some of you. It might be a long time ago when you were newly, newly saved. So when you had just made the decision to give your life to the Lord, you'd invited him into your heart. We accept that gift with gratitude and faith. We just say, Lord, I take it. It's wonderful. It's all you. We're excited. We're on fire. And then time goes on. Sometimes not even like maybe a month or a few days. And all of a sudden, that free gift has become a trial offer. And we try this thing out. And it's like those try for three for 30 days and then live your life under the thumb of striving, dead works, and fear. So all of a sudden, we, we forget that it's completely free. We don't need to do anything. We don't need to work. We don't need to strive. Everything is done. All we need to do is live this incredible abundant life that God has given us, and we suddenly start to add all these conditions. I've got to be holy. I've got to read my Bible. Even the good things that grow you, you, you they become heavy. And all of a sudden, the free gift is not so free anymore. And it becomes this huge, huge weight. That's not freedom, and that's not a gift. And I hope this is speaking to someone. <laughs> Righteousness is not something we deserve and have to preserve. Okay. It's not something that we have to protect and earn. Righteousness is what we were given on the cross. When Jesus died on that cross, we were given righteousness. It is a free gift. Okay. No earning, no protecting, no deserving, no preserving. It's done. It's finished. So have you forgotten God's true meaning of free? Have a little think. <laughs> Don't be fooled. Because it's free to us doesn't mean it was free to God. It cost him everything. It cost him his life. Your salvation was paid for on the cross freely, generously, completely. And there is no bill in the post later. Okay, it's not still coming. It's paid for. Done. He died to save us and it's finished. We can't live in the fear 
of having to repay him. He doesn't, he doesn't hold an account. And we constantly feel like we have to be repaying him for what he did for us. It's not, it's not the truth. We live in faith, gratitude, and worship, and that's all that's required of us. Exactly. Yeah. And he did nothing. nothing. He didn't deserve it. He didn't earn it. He didn't earn it. And, and that is grace. Yeah. And we're going to find out why soon. So if God is righteous, we were made for righteousness. Second one. Third one. I am loved. If God is love, we were made to be love. We were made in his image. So the definition of love according to the Bible, not according to the world is 1 John 4 verse 8. Simply, God is love. Not love is God. God is love. So if he's the author of love, he is the epitome of love. So it makes sense to base our definition of love on him. And what does the Bible say about that? Read it with me. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud, it does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it's not easily angered, keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. And that is the definition of God. If God is love, he is all those things. Okay. Love is not an action or an emotion coming from God towards you. Okay, he is love personified. The very essence of love is who he is. Every aspect of his nature, every action he takes, he takes actions towards you that are loving, but every action that he takes comes from true eternal love for you. Not you plural, you individually. Okay. Say this for me, and I want you to feel how you feel when you say it and the thoughts that come to your mind. Say, I am loved. How do you feel? Are you convinced by what you said? Yo, I'm guilty of this. Do you really? But you don't. I don't. Okay, so what we do, automatically what we do, if I say I am loved, I start to add conditions onto that. So that's, how, that's what our human nature does because that's how we love other people. Even our own children, we do it if we're honest. We, are you adding I am loved for now or I am loved when I'm a good person or I'm loved when I had my quiet time this morning Okay, understanding the unconditional love that God has for us brings an incredible peace. We don't have to maintain a level of worthiness or holiness to keep God's love. We have that already. And if we truly understood, if we could just for a second experience the love that he feels for us, everything else would fade away. The peace this peace that comes from that understanding. So first we need to ask God for an understanding of that unconditional love that he has for us. Because I don't think we can do that in ourselves. That has to come from him. 
He has to reveal that to us of, of how much, how deeply, deeply in love he is with you. And once we understand that, we have this peace that can't be broken by external forces or internal failures or um, any situation that's around us because we know that we are loved no matter what. No matter what happens, no matter what we do, no matter how many wrong choices we make, he loves us regardless. We have the freedom to learn and grow even when it looks like we're failing. And this has been such a beautiful thing for me because it's through my failures that I've realized how much God loves me because he proves his faithfulness every single time. And a failure... (laughs) Failure is sore and it's hard and it's tough, but it is growing and it is learning every single time. <laughs> that is how God made it. And that's how he allows it. He loves, it so much, he loves us so much that he allows those things to happen. He wouldn't allow those things to happen if he didn't know it was going to grow you and help you to learn more about him and grow closer to him. And that's one of the hardest things to realize is it's not always just the enemy pummeling us and attacking us and we always blame it on him. But sometimes God is allowing that thing to happen in order for us to grow and to move closer to him and to reveal more of himself to us. I am who I am loves you. Can you even believe that? That is such an incredible thing to wrap your head around. He loves you. He wraps his arms around you and carries you into the future he has for you despite your mess-ups. And that is grace. So if God is love, we are made to be love. And that is the hardest thing to give to other people because that is what he asks of us, is to love others with the same kind of love. Okay, this is a big one for me. I am secure. Now... As a child, I was probably one of the most insecure children you have ever met. I didn't say boo to a goose. I hid behind my mom's legs whenever I could. She always wore those Indian skirts, you know, those big flowy Indian skirts with the strings with the little bells on, so I could always hear where she was. And I was terrified of anyone and everything. I battled to say hello and goodbye. I hated answering the phone, you know, and we still had hand hand, um, landlines at home. She made me answer the phone, and you had to give a, hello, Kirsty speaking, how may I help you? Like, they trained you how to answer the landline. None of our, I kids don't get that anymore. But anyway, I hated all of those things, because I was so insecure in who I was. But what I have learned, and probably the biggest thing I've learned through my Christian walk, is if God is the great I am, which I know he is, we have security that only the world can yearn for. Romans 8.31, what then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Now, looking at this, it took me back into the Old Testament, which I really love. So many valuable stories and so much in history there that we can relate to today. And looking at the Israelites, how they journeyed to the promised land and all that they went through, they literally had front row seats to God's work, his miraculous moves, his, the incredible things that he did throughout that journey. But despite his awesome power, despite his protection, they never fully trusted him. As soon as danger threatened or life didn't go their way, they assumed, God has abandoned me. 
okay, straight away, that's what the immediate response was. And we shake our heads at them and like, how can they do this again? Like they know God is right there. He's literally showing them like incredible things. His food is falling out the, fly, out the sky. There's all these amazing things happening. And we shake our heads and we say, oh, the lack of trust. Like, but don't we do the same? Like often, almost every day in our lives. We look, at, we look at our life and God has been there for us every step of the way. He's done incredible miracles. We've got testimony after testimony after testimony. And soon as something happens, we say, God's abandoned me. He's not there. He doesn't exist. I've done something wrong. His hand is taken off me. And that is actually just so far from the truth. Security and confidence go hand in hand. We're going to talk about them separately, but they do go hand in hand, is our birthright. Seth has security. I'm talking about Seth, and I'm honing in on Seth because he is adopted into our family. We are adopted into God's family, but it doesn't make you any less of a child of God than Zach or Mia. He is a Durant. He will always be a Durant. We love him just as much as we love. And this, this is relatable to me because this is what, we, this is what God has taught us through Seth. Um, which is why I'm going to keep touching on it. So security and confidence are our birthright. We're not, we're not an intern trying to impress the boss to move up in the ranks or to get a promotion or, or um, to be paid more money. Okay. We are a child of God with position in the family that cannot be taken away. And the moment that revelation hit me, I thought, why am I so insecure? Why am I such an insecure person? I'm literally a member of God's family, a child in God's family. There is no one like me. I am unique. I have purpose. Nobody can take that away from me. He has a job for me that only I can do. And that is a security that can motivate and drive your every waking moment as you work towards building his kingdom. You're part of God's plan, and his plan is never small. Never, ever small. It's usually impossible, in fact. And this requires great courage. And today, me standing up here today and sharing all of this to you is all testimony to what God has done in me because Mark will tell you when he met me, how many moons ago? 19? <laughs> many, 19 years ago. 19 years ago. Um, there is... A whole lot of courage required when you realize that security because no one's going to get up there and get out there except you. Yeah. You can have the security and you can still sit back and do nothing with it. God's desire from you is not to live in fear, but security and confidence in who God is and that he has your back no matter what. Even if I mess up here this morning, I teach you all the wrong stuff. Uh, in fact, I don't teach you anything. Or... Um, it doesn't matter, like, as long as the security and the confidence out of the understanding of who you are in Christ, of what he's done for you, the purpose and the calling he has for you, he has got your back no matter what. And he will cover your shortfalls more than you can even realize. We learn these lessons by facing trials and seeing God's faithful, faithfulness through the tough times. We've spoken about that already. My problem with my insecurity was my obsession with control. I always wanted to be in control ever since I was very little. It's just who I was born, person I was born. And 
that is where my problem was, is that I'm not in control and God is completely and 100% in control. So I was fooling myself that I was in control most of the time. Um, but that security is not found in my ability to control, but found in God himself. And as soon as you let that control go, God can do something incredible with it and you learn to grow and really live this life that he's given you. So current failures, immaturity, weakness, fear, none of that causes our father to run away from us, no matter how much we mess up. He's not ashamed of us, even if we are ashamed of ourselves. Hebrews 13.5, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. Never, not sometimes, never. He will never leave you or forsake you. He's deeply, irrevocably in love with you. And because of that, if you allow him, he will grow you in security in him. It's not a security in yourself. It's a security in him that only comes from him. And I can't even... It's been a journey getting to that place of having that security and knowing that I will be fine no matter what, even if I mess up because he's got me. So being confident of this, that he who began the good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Philippians 1 verse 6. And that is the scripture that takes us on into our next little one, which is I am confident. Now, I don't think you can have this confidence without the security. I don't think you can have true confidence unless you have a true revelation of the security that you have in him. Because then you just get what you see mostly around in this world, which is the fake it till you make it mantra. So I want you to, practical exercise. Everybody close your eyes. I want you to picture a confident person. In your mind right now, picture a confident person. They're probably quite tall, usually. They have their chin up. Their eyes are fearlessly forward. He or she, depending on who you're picturing, knows what he wants, knows how to get it, and everyone is attracted to this person. Open your eyes. Appearing confident is easier than being confident. <laughs> That's the fake it till you make it mentality. So let's not assume that every person, every confident person that we see is faking it, because that's obviously not true. But what we tend to do is we put the confident people on pedestals. And we think we are lesser because they are more confident than we are. And we think they are some demigod because they can do things that I could never do. Oh, Mark always has the mark, like he's, he preaches so well. He shares testimony so well. I'm not that confident, so I'm not going to share my testimony. Who are you to withhold that testimony from someone else who's going to have their lives changed by that testimony? Who cares if your hand shakes when you hold the mic or if you say the wrong words? This is the confidence we need to find, not in ourselves, but in the purpose and the calling that God has given for you, given to you. And that confidence doesn't come from yourself either. So the security doesn't come from yourself, neither does the real genuine confidence. God offers the real deal, not the fake it till you make it of the world. He offers the real deal. Okay, who's the most obvious Old Testament example of this? 
Exactly. Okay. Uh, Exodus 4, 10 to 11. Moses said to the Lord, Pardon your servant, Lord. I have never been eloquent, neither in the past, nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. And I love what God says back to him. He says, Who gave human beings their mouths? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? We sang it this morning. He literally puts the air in your lungs, which goes over your vocal cords, which makes you speak the words. And we say, oh, but I, I can't. Um, I can't speak well and I stutter. And it's just it's ridiculous. So what is the definition of confidence? It's an awareness of who you are regardless of how you compare or measure up to other people. Our biggest problem with confidence is our constant comparing with everybody else. It's our default. We do it all the time. And it's so unhealthy. So unhealthy. Inner security, which breeds confidence, doesn't need constant affirmation or a need to prove itself. God brings about this inner security, when you're, a confidence that's not shaken, not shaken by failure because it's not built on performance but on the Father's love for his child. And that's where our confidence comes from. It comes from the knowing of how much he loves us. It comes from the security that's in God himself. That's where our confidence comes from. And it cannot be faked. If you have this kind of confidence, you cannot fake it. In times of difficulty, our core beliefs are revealed. And if it's authentic outward expression of an inward unshakable security in Christ, we will stand. Confidence gives freedom to learn, grow, and develop. If you have that security, if you have that confidence in knowing that your Father loves you, He will never leave you or forsake you. It allows you to risk failure as part of learning because we don't need to appear perfect or feel good about ourselves. We judge ourselves on how we feel about ourselves after we've done something, or um, how perfectly we did that thing. Most of the time I just feel like I'm bumbling along, like trying my hardest not to mess up. And, and God is saying, well done, like I'm so proud of you, keep going. This is exactly where I want you, these are exactly the people that I want around you, because this is where I've placed you. And that is a great thing to be confident about. So we end up becoming more and doing more than we ever could because we aren't bound by the need to appear perfect. And this is a very personal testimony for us because of what God did for us to bring us here. So whenever we doubt what we're doing in Monzi, practically, in River Church, in Northland, wherever we are, there is no possible way that we would be here unless God brought us here and gave us this mission and commissioned us to be here. So understanding that brings the confidence and the security for us not to be perfect. We don't need to be perfect. We don't need to get it right all the time. We don't need to say all the right things. We don't need to live up to the expectations of what everyone else thinks a pastor and his wife should be. Because we know that God brought us here and we know that God is going to finish the good work that he brought about by bringing us here. And we will mess up. We're humans. We all will mess up in whatever we're doing. But God will cover all of that. This 
is one of my favorite verses, and mostly because of the impact that it had on my husband's life. When we were first in the Michalisburg, uh, Mark was brand, brandly newly saved, and um, he went out to the dam. Do you even remember this? And he, <laughs> and he came back with this verse, and I have watched this verse change his life from that moment on. And I truly believe that for Mark, this is the verse that gave him the security and the confidence that he needed to fulfill his purpose and his calling that God gave for him. And it's 2 Timothy 1 verse 7. For the Spirit of God gave us, does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. For the Spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. And that is every reason to have confidence. So we've got two more. This is another one close to my heart because I was a very academic student at school. I was all about maths and science and biology and I loved drama. I wasn't very good at it, but I did love it. Um, and then what I ended up doing when I really knitted into the church community was all about creativity. And it was so far from where I had come from at school, being highly academic, I wasn't artistic at all. Um, obviously, I danced, but I didn't paint or draw or any of that stuff. And this is what I've learned through God literally dropping me in the deep end. I am creative. If God is creative, you are made to be creative. And it took me back to my preschool days, which were all about Play-Doh and games and art and lunch and zero stress, like probably being put down on a mattress to sleep was the most awful part of your day. Um, and gold, gold stars. Now we long for it. Yeah. <laughs> I know, it's crazy. Gold stars on your forehead were like the highlight of your day in your preschool. And it's probably tainted by nostalgia, by nostalgia. But it was fun because we were allowed to be creative. We had absolute license to be creative. We were made to be creative. God made us to be creative, and we loved it when we were little. Pablo Picasso has such a brilliant quote. He writes, every child is an artist. The problem is how to remain an artist once he grows up. Every child is an artist. The problem is how to remain an artist once he grows up. Adulting means endless daily assignments, to-do lists, and it just drowns out being the creative person that God made us to be. And that looks like so many different things. The definition of creativity is the desire or ability to make something new. So it's not all about art and drama. It's more on the definition. It's to develop something that didn't exist. Expressing words that have never been spoken to solve problems that don't yet have a solution. So I think we're too narrow-minded when we look at creativity. It's so much more than what we understand it to be. If we're made in the image of God, He is creative. Look around you. I mean, He created pretty much like He did. He created everything. And He invented this concept, and He loves to see us create. It gets Him going, seeing us be creative. It's part of our calling. Every single one of us. I will argue that creativity 
is not your calling because creativity is in every single thing that we do. Uh, God-given calling and purpose is to use our gifts to create. That is what we've just learned, to develop and produce. Why? Why do we do these things? Why do we create? To bless others. It's a gift that he gives us. He gives us the gift of creativity so that we can give it away. And there's no higher calling than using our gifts to glorify God and give them away by blessing others. We're going to learn, obviously, more about this during the gifted course of exactly what your gifts are, but all of our gifts are to give away. If creativity is God's gift to us and a way that we can honor Him, then we can and should embrace it, prioritize it, and get creative. And that sometimes means giving time to it, a lot of time to it. Dave will tell you, the musos. takes a lot of time to give their gifts away. Everything beautiful we create reflects God's glory. That's enough reason to do it. Whether it's painting a flower arrangement, setting up a business plan. What's up, Nick? No, I was trying to compare what you're saying. Oh, yes. I really, I really can't still listen to you. I can't remember all the details on exactly what you were they're saying that they tested, they get, like it was a proper test of creativity, however they problem solving. Yeah. Yeah. Through this test, and they ran the same test on kids at 10, went down to 50. At, yeah. and as just as went as down. Adults, just went down. I think it ended up with adults two, under 2%. And that's not because it's taken away. It's because you just don't use it. It's like a muscle that you use often, build strength. The muscle just disappears. Yeah. As you're born, you create a Yeah, that's crazy. So think wider. Ask yourself the question, am I creative? And I'm telling you the answer is yes. <laughs> but how can you grow, build, show off the beautiful creativity that God has put inside of you? And it's not just about art. Business plans are creative. Solving someone's... Um, whatever problem like be, you being a part of that helping them solve that that is creating it's taking something out of nothing 1 peter 4 verse 10 each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of god's grace in various forms you need to figure out what yours is so god is creative you were made to be creative it's a fact last one and my hardest one I am called. This was a question that was asked a lot to us in our early Christianity by the guys that were leading. What is your calling? What is your calling? And it perplexed me so much because I just didn't have an answer. Like my closest thing was um, I want to be a mom. Like that's the only thing I could really think of. Um, and it's a powerful concept. It implies, this is what it implies. You have something to offer and you have to believe that. Your contribution is recognized. People depend on you. You have responsibility, you have influence, and you have mission. All of that is involved in when you are called. We yearn for mission and purpose, so we all have this yearning inside of us 
to do things, to be someone, to make a difference, because we want to be a part of something bigger than ourselves. That's who God created us to be. He created us to be people on mission and with a purpose. Take superhero movies. How many fans do we have, apart from Mark and I? <laughs> superhero movies, Marvel movies, DC Comics. Okay. So each superhero story, each superhero has a story of origin. Okay, somewhere where they started, who they were um, before they were a superhero or before they got their powers, whatever the case may be. But eventually all the superheroes unite and they work together to defeat their epic foe. The superhero team each have their own mix of weaknesses and strengths that they bring to the team. And that's why these movies resonate with us because we all have our own weaknesses, whether it's Superman and his kryptonite or whatever it is, um, but we have, each have our own strengths as well, and that's what we bring to this team. We have our own strengths, abilities, gifts that the world needs, and that's where calling comes in. And that's what we're going to start looking into in the Gifted series. You'll see if you see the, the ad is all about this. God doesn't just love you, he calls you. And the gifts and what he's placed in you is directly related to what he's called you to. It's things that you love, it's things that get you going, it's things that you're passionate about. It's not always things that are going to be easy, but it's how he's going to use you. Because you're unique, okay, have a look, your fingerprints, crazy to think. No one else has got these, just you. Because you're unique, your calling is unique. It fits your life and no one else's. No matter how many billion people there are in the world, your calling is unique. So <clears throat> what I've discovered, and this may be theologically not right, but anyway, luckily we're a small crowd, so it won't go far. <laughs> but what I feel... <laughs> What I, feel like, what I feel like God has taught me with this whole calling thing of what is my calling is it's not just one thing, and it changes. You get to spend every single day of your life figuring out what your calling is. And it might be something one day and something else the next day. Something for one season, something else for the next season. It's about walking and talking with Jesus, leaning into who he is, and how, and ask him how you fit into his plan for the world. Because your calling is all about his plan for the world. And it's to bring that relationship back with people who don't know him to knowing him. Um, Psalm 139 verse 16, your eyes saw my unformed body, all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. So he had a plan for you before you were even born. That's quite something. God has a specific future for you, but you don't have to have all the answers now. And that's something that I've come to terms with, is that I might not know what, exactly what my calling is. It's the one, two pictures that God has given us over and over again, is the dot to dot picture, one dot. He's not going to show you what the pictures. He's not going to show you the leopard. He's going to show you the next dot. Then you go to the next dot. He's weaving together this beautiful tapestry. This was the other picture. Weaving together this beautiful tapestry. When it's right here up and close, you can't see what the picture is. You just see the colors, the beautiful colors that he's busy weaving. Only one day will you step back and he'll see the big picture of your calling and what 
his purpose for you and how he's used you to influence his kingdom. So your calling is a journey of a lifetime. Exploring what exactly that calling is, is an adventure of a lifetime. Philippians 2 verse 13, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. So the pressure is off. We don't have to figure out what our calling is. We don't have to have all the answers now. He works in you to will and act in order to fulfill his good purpose. He will fulfill his purposes in your life and through your life for those around you. So we embrace it. It's an adventure worth having and a life worth living, a story worth telling. And all we have to do is enjoy the I am. He is the I am, and these are all the things that he says that you are. So I've got a song. We're just going to sit. I think it's a three-minute song, so it's not long. Excuse my rhyming. Um, we're going to close our eyes, and we're just going to allow this to digest.
because of what you've done Not because of what I've done But because of who you are I am a flower quickly fading Here today and gone tomorrow A wave tossed in the ocean Shall I fear whom shall